when you're going against people who are called like butt farm 69, right, you're right, not right. going to see them as uh, the biggest challengers to right. you, to what you're doing. Like deep fucking value. I mean, you know, <laughs> like even as you write about it, you're like, what am I writing right now? And, and yet, you know, the guy, the guy had some interesting analysis going on. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's a smarter guy than all. He's, he's, he spotted it. Hi everyone. Before we start, I want to take a minute to talk about my next book. You may have heard about the story of GameStop in January or February and thought it was all over. You're sadly mistaken. Unfolding Online has been a clash between the corrupt practices of Wall Street and the hive mind of the internet. It's a hot, raging information war pitting retail investors against financial giants swimming in corruption and fraud. The trailer is at the end of this podcast, but if you want to help crowdfund the book or just find out more, you can sign up to my mailing list to get access to a preview of chapter one or go to whenmoon.com to read more about the book. The first 200 people to pre-order the book will get a free pack of To The Moon crayons with their book. I just want to make a quick mention of our sponsors. Namecheap are one of the cheapest places on the internet to get a domain name for your next website. I've used Namecheap for all the sites I've ever purchased and I've found it really easy to use. Spreaker are a rapidly growing platform for podcast recording, publishing, and monetization with pricing plans as low as $7 per month. A cheap way to host your podcast and start earning from your back catalog of shows. Finally, ExpressVPN is the internet's most trusted VPN. Protect your privacy and watch and view content that is location locked you can even try watching Netflix from a different country. And right now, they're offering 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Please use the links in the description below if you want to support the show. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I am here with uh, Ben Mesrich, the author of Bringing Down the House, uh, The Accidental Billionaires that got made into the film The Social Network, and the author of the brand new book, The Anti-Social Network. Ben, thanks very much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. N- yeah, I mean, I've been so I've been I've been skim reading um, as fast as I can through the, the the copy of the book I got. I'm looking forward to going and buying a physical one tomorrow because I just prefer to be able to have it in my hand. I'm not good at reading off a screen, um, but uh, it really strikes me as something that feels like it was written for a film. Now, this is the first one of your books that I've written. Is that the style of, of, of writing that you would normally go for? Or is this something new that you've, you've sort of become better and better at as you've envisioned your, your books beca- no. being made into films? Yeah, no, I've always been a cinematic writer. Um, I've always, even from the beginning of my career, set out to write books that could be adapted. I usually sell the movie even before I write the book. So I write a 14-page treatment uh, or, or synopsis of the story, sell it to Hollywood, then sell the publishing rights, write the book with the intention of it always being made into a movie. I mean, I consider myself a, a nonfiction entertainer. I'm trying to tell true stories in a way that people want to see them and read them. And so I've always kind of written in that fashion. And the success of The Social Network, and I had a previous movie called 21, based on the Blackjack story, um, have gotten me, you know, a lot of ins in, in Hollywood so that when I do come up with a story, I'm able to present it there um, as early as I present it, you know, to the publisher. So it's all in my head to do it as a movie always. Yeah. Mm. And, well, you know, it, critics, it, some critics are like, what are you actually doing here? <laughs> you know, are you trying to write movies? Are you trying to write books? My feeling is that there's this synergy now and that the idea is that people want to see things. Um, and if you can write in a style where they can actually see it on the page, I think that that works in a really good way for nonfiction. So that's, that's what I've always set up to do. I mean, I really enjoy the way uh, that that everything is so descriptively written. It makes it very easy to to to, to imagine yourself there, um, and it's thankfully for me quite antithetical to the style that I'm because I'm also writing a book on on this topic, but more about the like the Reddit community. Yes. Um, so reading the first few pages, I was just like, oh dear, am I going to be just? I've been beaten to the <laughs> beaten to the point here. But thankfully, it's very um, you've gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when did you first decide to write it? So the GameStop story, you know, it happened or it came to a head 
uh, January of this year. Um, and literally, I was watching it happen just like everyone else. I've always been interested in stocks. Uh, I, I've dabbled in penny stocks in the past. I'm into the crypto world. I wrote a book about crypto and everything. So, you know, I was seeing it go on. And then all of a sudden, I started getting all these emails and all these tweets. And people were like, you should be writing this story. It's right up your alley. Because I write about high gambling. I write about people who are in these high stakes Wall Street situations all the time. Um, and, and so I dove in. And it was like a Wednesday when it all came to a head. And by Friday, I had a, a proposal and I'd sold it in a big studio bidding war to Hollywood studio. And so I really started working on it right there. Um, and it was tricky because you're writing a book while it's happening. So you're trying to reach all the characters who are in the middle of it. You know, the congressional hearing going on. It's, it was nuts. Um, but that's when I really started writing it. And I wrote the book over the next couple months. Um, so, you know, it was it was it was wild. It was a wild experience. Yeah. Mm. Now, one of the things that uh, I'm actually let's go with this first. How immersed in the online community did you get whilst you were writing the book? Because obviously there's a, a, a outrageous amount of like in jokes and sort of Reddit humor. And um, so how, how, how deep into reading what was going on on what was Wall Street bets then? Yes. How deep were you in there? Yeah. So I was spending all day there looking around. I had some guides, which was great. So basically people reached out to me on Twitter when they found out I was writing the book and, and, and wonderfully were sending me tons and tons of streams and showing me what were the best memes and the funniest tweets and uh, I mean, Reddit uh, jokes and who were the big characters. So uh, listen, I'm no expert, but, you know, but I was there all day as much as I could trying to sort of get into the heads of, of what was going on there. Um, a couple of the characters that I chose to write about were regular people who were on the Reddit boards a lot. And so uh, telling it through their eyes made it, you know, made me be able to see things that I personally would not have seen. I mean, you know, um, so there's a college kid that I wrote about one of my characters. Um, and then there was a, a single mother of two who's a, a registered nurse who was a Trump supporter, you know, a really fascinating character. And then a third character was a young woman who's this was going to be her year. Um, and then, of course, it, it wasn't because of the pandemic and everything. And and so she doesn't have marriage that she wanted, the wedding that she wanted, and she's pregnant during a pandemic and gets COVID and all this kind of stuff. So um, telling it through their eyes allowed me to look onto the Reddit board in, in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, from that angle, I definitely think, you know, I'm not going to get every joke that's thrown out there, obviously, but but I think I, I got to highlight the important things. I was really thrilled to be able to put in the book something like, you know, the Tendy Man, the, 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 the whole you know, ballad there um, and something like that, because those were funny and they resonated with the Chernobyl explosion or, you know, I, I wanted to describe those important moments um, in this story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the online community has, has been fascinating. Yeah. What did you find like the, the most difficult part of the, of this saga to kind of get your head around? So I'm, you said you, you sort of dabbled in stocks and, and yeah. penny stocks. So that I'm assuming that the, the financial jargon wasn't as difficult for you to get your head around as like the right. internet lingo. No. So the, the financial stuff is fine. You know, I, I, I obviously I'm, an, I'm not a Wall Street banker. So understanding short selling to the point where I could describe it simply, you know, those are things that I do, though. And so I, having written Wall Street books before, um, I, I, I know who to talk to. I know how to ask the questions. So those those things were not as difficult. Also, social media. I mean, I wrote the social network book, so I kind of am pretty aware of the whole social media theme and the bigger themes of it. Um, for me, honestly, the hardest part of this story is that because it, it takes place in this moment in time, this pandemic, nobody ever actually comes face to face with each other. Right. So you're writing cinematic scenes where all of life transpires via zoom <laughs> right via your computer yeah so how do you mm. come together in in a, in a dramatic telling and i'm thinking of this from the movie point of view without people ever being in the room with each other and that becomes very interesting and tricky and yet they did all come together through this congressional hearing you know they're all brought in front of congress all of the main characters so it was kind of cool mm. in that there was this point where they do come together but i think for me the hardest part getting my head around this story was how do you tell it without it being, you know, a bunch of people sitting and staring at their computers? Um, and we go back to the social network with that. When we made the social network, one of the things we wanted to be very cognizant of is we never wanted to have people sitting around looking at their computers. When the reality is that was a story about the guy who created Facebook, right? Um, so you have to find a way to dramatize or make it interesting. Um, and it's all there. The story was all there um, because it was happening in real time. So 
I could see all the different angles. It was just a matter of getting my head around how is the best way to tell this story in an exciting, interesting way. Um, so that was the hardest part. It wasn't any of the concepts. It was thematically how do you approach a story like that. Mm. Now, one of the things that I've been trying to get my head around is that, so I'm in, in the middle, of, I'm still in the middle of writing my book because I've been, yeah, I'm still following everything that's going on. Right. And I'm trying to write the chapter about like the villains as such. Yeah. And something that really struck me and I really wanted to get your perspective on was, do you think that um, Gabriel Plotkin and Ken Griffin and, and Vlad Tenev, do you think they see themselves as the villains in this story? Oh, so great question. Listen, uh, you know, Gabe, I'll take him one at a time. Gabe Plotkin to me is not a villain at all. This is a guy who's 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 done very well in his life. He's a brilliant hedge funder. He he did the most normal thing in the world. He shorted GameStop. That is not an unusual trade. You know, GameStop was a company that probably should have gone out of business, right? It's a it's a brick and mortar uh, store that sells consoles in a digital world. Um, they have a huge base of people, but they totally mismanage it. They have a revolving door of CEOs. Um, they totally blew the move to digital. And they were in the prime position to become the Amazon of gaming. But they didn't, right? They made a lot of mistakes. So shorting that company made a lot of sense. Gabe was taken completely by surprise by what happened. And, and he got out of his position when he got out of his position. So you really can't plant him as a villain. Reddit sees him as a villain because he was shorting this beloved company during a pandemic. And so you can think about, well, is that ethical? Is it ethical to short? But honestly, that's what hedge funds do. He's a short, long hedge fund. He has to short things. Um, so, so I don't see Gabe as a villain at all, even though he is villainized. And I understand that. And I think he's a perfect dartboard for the anger against Wall Street because he owns a $34 million mansion in Miami and, you know, uh, presumably lives this lifestyle, you know, that none of us live. So, um, so yes, but. Uh, no. So Robin Hood is another interesting point. They're not a villain either to me. Robin Hood, you know, has handed to all of us this portal to Wall Street, democratized finance by giving us all the ability to buy and sell stock, um, just like we were a Wall Street trader. It, it's scary because it's gamified, you know, Wall Street. I can't I don't think you can argue that it doesn't gamify when you have confetti pop out when you buy a stock. That's, no, no that's it's gamified, definitely gamified. Right? Yeah. But, you know, what they're trying to do isn't evil. Uh, they're trying to give us all the ability to buy and sell stock, right? They're trying to give us, you know, something that we didn't have before and we don't have to pay fees. Um, they make their money by selling our trades to a market maker, basically. Um, mm. But is that evil or is that just business, you know? Um, so, I, and again, I don't think Vlad is a bad guy. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a smart guy. Um, but I think they're naive in thinking they can be a bank without being more regulated, um, without being more the adult in the room, right? Mm. Um, there's a great scene in the book when this really happened where they're being met with by people who build clearing companies, essentially. And mm -hmm. one of their people is like standing on a skateboard during the meeting, you know, because that's, they're Silicon Valley unicorns. They're the fun guys, you know? So mm. so that becomes uh, part of the story as well. Um, and then you get look at Citadel. Now, I think in the book, um, they definitely are presented in sort of a dark way because I think you can definitely equate them if this were the Lord of the Rings, they are Sauron, you know, they have an eye in the sky. They're at the center of the U.S. economy. Forty percent of retail trades go through them. Nobody really knows what they do. It's so murky. All right. Nobody understands what Citadel actually does. It's so complicated. How could we understand it? Um, and they're at the center of this whole thing. So, you know, I think you, from their point of view, no, of course, they're not the bad guys. From their point of view, they're the reason we can buy and sell stocks through Robinhood. Um, they give us the best price and the quickest deal, um, but they make money, right? And, and how they make money, you know, you start to wonder and you start to get nervous about. Um, but from their point of view, listen, you know, they survived 2008 as well. They they got to this point because they're very smart um, and they they placed themselves at the center of the U.S. economy. So in the reality, no one ever sees themselves as a villain, right? No one No one believes that they're the villain. And I think anyone can be a hero in their own movie. Um, and you can look at the points of view of all these different characters and say, well, you could also say the guy sitting on his couch putting up, and you know, ridiculous memes on Reddit to just about destroying Melvin is a villain, too. You could point to anybody in the story and say they're the bad guy, except for, I think, Keith Gill. I don't think that this guy sitting in his basement in Brockton who falls in love with GameStop is a bad guy in any way, shape or form. I think he sincerely loves that stock. 
Um, and you know, that to me is something to respect and, and, and to appreciate. Um, so there are a lot of people who could be the villain in this story and it all depends on your perspective, I think. Mm. Yeah. One of the things you, you quite, um, you allude to and sort of talk about a bit in the, in the book, uh, is the idea that Robin Hood are named after yet yeah, the people taking from the rich and giving to the poor and that they have given people, um, this sort of window or entry point into into the stock market but that at the same time as you mentioned they're they're selling the order flow the payment for order flows on the on the other side of it and which yeah it's it, it to me feels at, at best vaguely disingenuous as to like what you're attempting to pretend that you're doing because you're 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 they are they're not a trading platform in my mind they're a they're a software company in the same way that every single social media platform or, or tech firm is these days that like we are the product and right. our data is the thing being sold. So it's very similar to Facebook is that like Facebook isn't the product. We like our data is the product and that's how these companies function. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And that's where it gets really fishy is that, you know, if you, you're, you get on Robinhood, you don't have to pay anything. You can buy and sell stock. There's no commission. There's no, and it seems great. But the reality is because that that's the way it works. Well, how do they make their money? They take all of our trades and they offer them to a market maker and they get a good deal. And that's how they're making a lot of their money. So you begin to wonder, well, where are their interests? You know, what what pushed pressure on them? Is it us or is it, you know, the other side? Um, and that ends up leading to conspiracy theories, because when they freeze trading on GameStop, you have to wonder well, what made them do that? Was it really this collateral call? Um from their clearinghouse or was somebody in Wall Street putting pressure on them? And then the eyes start to turn towards, towards Citadel. Um, now, I don't really believe there's a conspiracy there. I don't really believe Citadel pressured them because I don't think Citadel needs to pressure them. Citadel is the house, you know, in, in Vegas, the house doesn't need to cheat uh, because the house is always going to make money. Citadel knows where the trades are going to go. They, they see the trades and so they can trade on the information that they have and that's how they make their money. Um, I think if you're clear and you understand where Robinhood makes their money, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but I don't think everyone was clear on that. Um, and I think mm. that's what's called into question. And now you're actually seeing a lot of movement around is payment for flow is should it be allowed? Should this be a way of making money? Um, and, and that'll be a discussion that gets more and more complicated as, as government looks into it. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it definitely puts a dark view of everything that's going on. There's this sort of grayness because you suddenly realize everybody is interconnected. You know, Robin Hood to Citadel to Melvin Capital and the short side, they're all connected to each other. And then the regular people who are on the buy side are sitting at home on their couches <laughs> trying to take on this giant empire. Um, and that's where the drama comes in, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ready-made for, for a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, I really hope you get Ryan Gosling as Keith Gill. Ryan Gosling, you uh, great <laughs> Keith Gill. We're working on, you know, the movie is moving quickly. I think we're gonna have a really cool movie situation coming soon. Um, but it's it's at MGM and uh, Mike DeLuca, who did The Social Network, and Aaron Ryder, who did um, Arrival Memento, is producing it. And the screenplay mm. is in. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's great. So we should be getting actors soon. So uh, it should be awesome. Yeah. That is cool. Um, so while we're on the topic of, of Gabriel and, and um, Ken Griffin and, and uh, Vladimir Tenev, do you think they are, and this is something that several people message me to ask you about, do you think they are aware of how much they've become, like, memefied? So, who in particular, you say? Sorry. Uh, um, yeah, Gabriel, yeah, Vlad, well, you know, and Kenny. I think that they've seen, so Gabe definitely saw everything that was going on, and, 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 and he received a lot of real negative, you know, anti-Semitic comments. I mean, he was really bad stuff going on on the Reddit boards towards him. And so I think that there's 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 a lot of sort of anger and 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 uh, he was taken by surprise I think by the vehemence towards not just his GameStop position but all their short positions right almost all their positions were attacked um, and they were really targeted in a personal way I think Vlad is definitely out there you know you see him doing a lot of interviews and he went on Clubhouse with Elon Musk so he's very aware that his role in this project you know as I wrote the book they were definitely people that we're very nervous about what I was writing. There's lots of back and forth and stuff like that. And so we'll see how they like the book. Um, I don't think they come off poorly, but I definitely think it tells a very three-dimensional story. And I think 
they won't like some aspects and they will like some aspects. But um, yeah, I think they're all pretty aware of what went on. This was such a public story and it happened really right out there. That's the crazy thing about what happened today. Hedge funds are usually secretive, you know, things mm-hmm. where you don't know what's going on. And suddenly they were placed in a very public position, which was very awkward for them. So, um, yeah, everybody saw what was happening as it was happening. Um, and they mm-hmm. became very famous, uh, whether they liked it or not. Um, so, you know, we'll see what they think of the book and the movie. I, I, I couldn't tell you right now where, where that'll all land. Mm. Uh, I do want to note, uh, just for, uh, to slightly defend the Redditors, um, that the, the, the CEO in the congressional hearing had said that they had trawled the, the subreddits for anti-Semitic comments and not find, um, yeah. anything. No, maybe you've seen something different to me. I think they but, were personal. Uh, I don't think it was on Reddit. I think it was sent to him directly. Um, okay. So I think that it all kind of wrapped together in that. Um, I, I think um, him and also um, the Citron guy, um, they were pretty personally attacked, you know, via email and things like that. But listen, you're right. Listen, I love the Reddit board. I spent a lot of time on it and, and really enjoyed the community and got to know a lot of people. And I think that there's a, a harshness, you know, a, a level of, uh, acidity, I guess you would say, um, just mm. the apes and the retards and all of that stuff. It's clearly there. Um, but I also think to some degree it's in a, 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 a smokescreen to keep out the people that aren't going to be able to get past that. So I think mm. there's this real brilliance on these boards and there's super smart people on them. And you start to see some really good analysis, um, really, really good analysis of a lot of different things on there. But you have to get past the jokes and the language and sort of the darkness. And I think that shield is part of why Wall Street didn't see it coming um, because they could write off Wall Street bets as this is a place full of people calling each other retards. I'm not going to take this seriously, right? But if you look under that level, you see really good analysis of, of fundamentals, of, of why a short squeeze could happen, of how you get a short squeeze to happen. And I think if Wall Street had been more careful and looked carefully, they could have seen a lot of this happening. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess it, when you're going against people who are called like Butt Farm 69, right, you're right, not right. going to see them as uh, the biggest challengers to right. to what you're doing. Like deep fucking value. I mean, you know, <laughs> like even as you write about it, you're like, what am I writing right now? And, and yet, you know, the guy the guy had some interesting analysis going on. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's a smarter guy than all. He's he's he spotted it in in. Uh, well, you, April you know, listen, he, he, he spotted it or he fell in love with it. I, I think it's more that he fell in love with this stock. He really and truly fell in love with it. And so he saw everything through the rose-colored glasses of, of someone who's in love. Um, so he could look past the revolving door of CEOs and he can look past, you know, the fact that it's GameStop. It's it's a ridiculous company. You know, it's it's in the mall. It's a brick-and-mortar company selling video games. <laughs> and And he could look past that and say, well, there's this community and there's nostalgia and there's this the digital world and gaming and he saw the good. Um, and so it, it's a valid view of, of the company. Now, I don't know how valid it was in 2019. Um, you know, so that's, that's, it's, it's really interesting to look into that from this perspective. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, he's become a, a hero to many. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, was there any parts while you were writing the book that you were just like, is this, is this real? Is this actually happening? Right. Well, I mean, the story is very absurd and, and you look into it and and um, and yes, I, I don't know if I was ever wondered if it was real, but I wondered, you know, uh, what what motivates you to put all your money into this stock with little knowledge and like just for fun or or how much of this is angry or how much of this is just nihilism and just, I don't give a crap. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think this could have ever happened in a different time period. I think the pandemic is a big part of this story because people were trapped at home. The world had gone to shit. It, it feels like the world is a simulation that's gone off the rails. And you suddenly were handed a stimulus check, right? Um, what are you going to do with it? You're going to go buy food or you're going to go buy GameStop? And everyone bought GameStop. And I get it. And I think some of it was this nihilistic attitude of just screw it. You know, life has just gone to crap and let's let's just have some fun. Um, and then some of it was really this anger towards Wall Street making money off of, uh, of a company that we love or, or making money during a pandemic or whatever, um, or go back to 2008 or, or Occupy Wall Street. So there's definitely all these different themes going on. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it is an absurd story. Um, and it, 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 every character in it is absurd. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun to write. 
Yeah, I mean, well, memes run the world now, but um, one of the one of the questions that that quite a lot of people have have asked me um, to put to you was the this idea that the story isn't over, mm-hmm. and they're basically uh, the the crux of the questions that were being forwarded was like, do you do you regret or maybe feel that the story isn't done yet or do you feel like the the part that you've written about was the focus of of what has happened or do you think there's still more to come yeah i think well i write origin stories i mean that's what i do you know if you look at the social network obviously a lot happened after the end of the social <laughs> network most of the story happened after the end of the social network right what facebook began you know what happened with facebook but i think it's a great origin story of facebook and that's what you want to tell that's what i want to tell when I watch the Marvel movies, I love the original Wolverine origin story. A lot happens with Wolverine after the origin story, but that's no reason not to tell the origin story. And Bitcoin Billionaires was my book about crypto. And it's, you know, the origins of the Winklevoss twins, giant fortune in Bitcoin. But it also tells the story of the early days of Bitcoin. And, and most of the Bitcoin story has happened after that story. Um, but that's still a great telling of that. And so I, mm. I think similarly, this is the GameStop story. Whatever happens with GameStop from here on out, the GameStop story is what happened in those four days in January. That's what I truly believe, because before that, there was no GameStop story. Um, and everything that happened after that happened because of that, right? Uh, the short squeeze that, you know, people believe is not done yet. Um, it all goes back to that, right? And Robinhood's blocking the trading and all of that. That is the GameStop story. It has a beginning, middle, and end. I think the end is the congressional hearing. Now, everything that happens after that, of course, is another story and it continues forward and, and anything could happen from here. But I think that, you know, really the story you want to read and you want to hear and you want to see is how did this all happen? What the heck's going on? Where is game? Why is GameStop even something we're talking about? And that's mm-hmm. captured in this, this the antisocial network. And so I don't think it's a, a valid criticism to say you can't write a story until it's over because none of these stories are ever over. When are you going to write your story? Twelve years from now when GameStop <laughs> has its third short, please? Uh, I mean, I don't get what what the what the criticism is, um, mm. but I also understand people are always angry when you write a story, um, just for whatever reason. <laughs> I've never written a book that didn't get angry comments, <laughs> so so you know that that goes mm. to the territory. Um, but yeah, I think the beginning, middle, end of the story, um, you know, is in the story, and I think you'll see mm. it when you read the book. So who's uh, so this is GameStop's origin story, or is it one of the? No, it's the GameStop situation origin story. It's the idea that fundamentals are no longer important. That that uh, that what really matters is the community is is, and it's also the sort of revolutionary movement of of retail trader, if you want to call it that, or of the Reddit mob, if you want to call it that, or of the community of regular people versus Wall Street that has come to a head. Like Wall Street was the last bastion that felt it was not going to be affected by social media, you know, or the digital age, you know, the Mm. music industry, the arts, everything has been completely affected politics by social media and the democratization of of reality of the fact that we all have a voice now. But Wall Street still was the silo that wasn't affected, um, where you had to have a suit and a tie and a and a Harvard degree, and, and then you were a Wall Street trader, and that's who trades on Wall Street. Well, that's gone to hell now, right? And that's this movement, I think, that we're seeing, this revolution um, of regular people who suddenly have the tools of Wall Street on their phone um, and the money, because 10 million people on Reddit with $1,000 each is bigger than any Wall Street bank. Um, so I, I do think that this is a big moment in history um, where the financial markets are, are going to resonate with this, you know, from now on. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had often thought that finance had already had its kind of like disruption moment when, when you were, there was things like, like internet banks coming out and, and maybe even crypto in a way. Yeah. Um, but well, this I, I hadn't. The crypto thing, but you know, listen, Wall Street functions essentially how it functions. Um, it hasn't really reacted to that, which is why they were taken by such surprise when GameStop suddenly becomes worth as much as like GE, right? Uh, from their point of view, how can this happen? And, and, and yet they see it in crypto, but that's something separate. That's not Wall Street, mm. that's crypto. No. And that's, you know, yeah, internet banking, um, but still internet banking is kind of off the grid a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's 
credit cards and things like that, right? You, you still can't use a credit card to trade, you know, to gamble, right? I mean, it's, it's not there yet. They haven't really gone there yet. But this is right in their heart. You know, this is mm-hmm. on the stock exchange. It's like suddenly the stocks that are on the stock exchange, you have to look at them differently. Could I short uh, Bed Bath & Beyond um, and not have it become a big m- issue? Maybe I can't anymore. Right. And that's when it starts to be we have to take into account the fact that we're no longer a silo, um, that that the millions of people out there are a part of our decision making now. And so I think that that's revolutionary. Mm. Like, What do you think is going to be the biggest long term impact of, of this this moment of this origin story? Like, Where do you see the biggest change coming from this? I think if at all. Yeah, I think it's twofold. I owe well, more than twofold. I think on the one hand, retail traders are going to recognize their power. Um, and I think that that's Wall Street recognizes retail traders power and understands that how they look and what moves they do. It's just as important as the, the math behind it. Right. It's no longer just an algorithm to decide what you're going to buy and what you're going to sell. It's taken into account. What is this thing that I'm buying and selling it and who out there also wants to buy and sell it and why? Um, and I think that's important. At secondary, I think short selling is going to come into view. Um, I already know that hedge funds are much more careful after this uh, about what they would publicly short. Um, you know, the idea of just filing something with the SEC is no longer just paperwork. The idea is that I could become a target because I shorted a company that people love. Um, so I think that's called into question and maybe there'll be some regulation around it. Payment for order flow is going to be regulated, I think. I think the idea that you talked about that, you know, you could be the product. Um, Rather than the consumer, that's taking, they're taking a hard look at that, um, and companies like well, uh, Robinhood will have to deal with that. Um, and um, and so those are, I think, the three main things. But I think in general, people are going to be wary of the stock market, the idea of whether it's gamified or whether it's a casino. I think it's pretty clear that it is a casino and that it's gamified. And I think that regulators have to take a look at that and say, oh, how do we fix that if that's a problem? How do we keep it from being um, a casino? Um, and should college kids be able to just buy and sell whatever they want without any regulation? I mean, should there be trading accounts open for high school kids, right? Um, all of these things, you know, people are starting to have to look at, I think, much more carefully. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting to me to see what Gary Gensler is doing because um, have you, I how much have you been like keeping up with? What has been going on 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 Reddit since Honestly, since January? Basically, not not a lot. I you know I, I I I basically was working really really hard on the book, and then when the book's finished, you start. You know, I'm, I write for the show Billions as well. I've been a, a writer producer uh, for season five. Of oh that. yeah, yeah. My yeah. world is uh, in the finance world, but you know, I go from thing to thing as as, as you know solidly as fastly as I can. But I, I I hop on Reddit now and again and things like that. But I don't. I don't know specifics, you know. Mm. Yeah. No, well, the, I mean, the, the the idea is that it's not over yet. Yeah. Um, and you actually mentioned there earlier that uh, the, um, Melvin Capital and, and Gabriel Plotkin had closed out their position. Now, one of the theories goes that they did not. Right. Do you believe them? Uh, well, that's a great question. And it's a it's uh, it's hard. Listen, I have no information beyond what. Uh, they say. Um, no, no, that's. So I just want to my your, assumption yeah. is they closed out their position. I know there are a lot of people on Reddit who don't believe that, um, and um, I would love to see data that 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 is specific enough that you could write about it, <laughs> right? Um, but what all I really have to go on, certainly in a book, um, is what you know is available to me. So I don't know. It's a great question. Um, they're very adamant about that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've told their investors that point. So from a legal perspective, you have to say they close out their position. And I and I and I, I think that's that's. Um, I think they should have closed out their position. Listen, I, yeah. I think if they were paying attention <laughs> to the situation, and I talked to other hedge funds. You know, part of the story is also these other hedge funds that rode the other side of it. And they're like, mm-hmm. we were watching this saying, what the hell is Melvin doing? Why would they not have closed out their position even earlier than that? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the stock they had, they were shorting the stock right when it was like, what, five dollars? Wasn't weren't they still shorting it then? So you're mm-hmm. wondering what what are they hoping for here? And then the stock rides up to twenty dollars and it's like, all right, get out. 
And then, but they didn't get out. They, they did more. And then the stocks run up to $70. So you have to think, yeah, they closed out their position because any rational trader would have closed out their position. So that's where I also have problems with the conspiracy theories, the idea that they didn't close out their position. Um, they certainly should have closed out their position. Any rational trader would have closed out position. All of the people on Reddit who say they didn't would have closed out their position. So why do we believe they didn't close out their position? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the, well, one of the pieces of data that I'm looking at, because this is what I'm trying to parse out at the minute. Like I'm literally in the process of writing about the trading hall and whether they did. And uh-huh. one of the pieces of data people point to is that uh, the start of February, I can't remember which day exactly, uh, that the short interest was still reported by um, one company at 226%, which is even higher than it was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I have trouble believing that. Um, I, I'm not the right guy to ask about this because I'm not an expert oh, no, on any no, of this no. stuff. It seems unreasonable and impossible that that would be the case. Um, mm. So that would be my answer to that, unless I had some reason to believe that. Um, but listen, I mean, listen, the short went up to 140% that we know of previous to this, which is completely insane. You have to imagine that any any Wall Street firm in the shorting business would have closed out that position. Um, and shorting a stock with that much short, it'd just be a stupid thing to do. So how would it go up from there? How would big money be shorting at this point? Um, mm. It seems illogical to me, but who knows? You know, I, I'm not the expert and, and people can, you know, my feeling about conspiracy theories in general is that they're a lot of fun and our brains work that way. We love them and we gravitate. You can see what's happening with the pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. one conspiracy theory post gets 10 times the traction as a scientist post because that's how our brains work. We love conspiracies mm-hmm. and we look for patterns. And if we could find a pattern, that's when we're happiest. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to fall for them. And I listen, I've written my many of my books are on things like UFOs and, and whatever. And, and so. Uh, I've written about a lot of different things where where there's a lot of reason to believe something weird is going on. Um, and so I don't know the answer here. Um, no. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But I do think the story that 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 resonates to me um, ended with the congressional hearing. Um, mm. It really rose and fall with Keith Gill going from fifty three thousand dollars or whatever it is to forty five million dollars. Uh, there's a story right there, and you don't need much yeah. more than that um to tell a great story no it's a truly wonderful story um did you speak to to uh keith gill as part of writing the book you know i i worked around keith i got to people very close to him keith is um in a difficult or or uh, uh he's aware well aware of what i'm doing and, and questions were sent in that direction um but he's not uh in a position where he can just talk um and i think mm. there are various sort of investigations and stuff going on and and he's still in the middle of it all. So this is the, the trick of writing a book like this while it's happening is people who would talk to you a year later um, mm. are not in the position to talk to you during it. And so I don't really go into who my source is or, or that to that degree. I talk to a lot of people on the inside from a lot of different directions. Um, so, you know, I think when you read the story, you'll see what I had access to and what I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's clear you had like at least fair amount of access from the parts of the book that I've, I've yeah I mean I, I have these detailed. so over the years I've developed sort of methods of getting inside stories and you know I'm not the guy who shows up with a uh, an audio recorder and a, <laughs> and a typewriter I'm the guy who at two in the morning is in the bar with you and you're just telling your story too so that's kind of how I've always seen myself as a journalist I don't even call myself a journalist I'm someone who befriends and, and tries to get inside the story as, as much as I can and find as many sources that are kind of on the outside like if if there's a character I want to get to and I can't get to him, maybe I can get to his personal trainer. You know, maybe I can get to the, yeah. his chef or maybe I can get to the guy who delivers his groceries. Like you can tell a story around the story and, and get pretty deep into it. Mm. How do you start when you're when when you in any story, not not specifically just this one, and you're trying to sort of like build up how you want to tell it and, yeah. and which characters you want to focus on? How do you? How do you go about like building those foundations or sort of like dreaming up who is going to be the, the focal point of, yeah. your, of your stories? So I usually it, it goes back to the cinematic thing. I'm thinking, OK, this story as a movie, how would this look? Who is your hero? Who's 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 how is this? What are the obstacles they're going through? What are their love interests? How, how does this develop? And you 
you pick that thread through it in. So there's that A story. You know the A story. The A story is Keith Hill, the fastest kid from Brockton, in his basement, um, who falls in love with the stock, right? And he rides it all the way up to this ridiculous money and then is pulled in front of Congress. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. That is the A story. Then you've got Melvin Capital. Who is Melvin Capital? Um, why are they shorting this company? And how do they react to this absurdity? And they're, again, pulled in front of this congressional meeting. And then you have Robin Hood, right? You have they create this app for good reasons, but they're totally sort of out of their depth about certain things like clearing or the, mm. the boring things. Right. Mm. Um, so there and then they're pulled in front of the congressional hearing. So I knew that those are the I know the dramatic moments. And then you look at it like you would look at a screenplay. It's a three act system. Um, you have these moments in the end of the first act and the end of the second act, um, which are going to push you forward into the story and to the denouement. Um, so these all of life follows this structure. I found that reality and fiction all follow the same structure. We're, we, we, we are all the protagonists in our own stories. We all deal with these obstacles to get to that point. There's always some big significant event, um, and then it all kind of comes to a head. And this happens in all of our lives. And when you look back in your life, it's just a matter of finding those moments and how you would tell your story. And so that's what I really do is I look at it with that lens. Um, and then I start in my research, you know, talking to everyone I can, and I find characters maybe that I didn't think of before. But suddenly I meet someone and they're like, well, this college kid, he made 60, put in $2,000 and he made a quarter million dollars. I mean, that's a really cool story. And it kind of tells a lot of the story because I know a lot of the people involved were college kids or were 20 somethings. Mm. So how do I want to capture them? Well, he seems like the right guy to do it. But as you get to know him, he's quirky. He's got these, you know, he's into anime. He's, he's, he's into all of these things. But I'm like, those are cool beats. Um, so they weed into the story um, and you tell his story through that. Um, but yeah, it's not, you know, I, for me, I outline. So I've got the whole story planned before I sit down to write. It's not stream of consciousness kind of thing. I mean, every mm -hmm. chapter in that book is there for a reason. Um, and every page in that book is there for a reason. Um, but but in the initial stages, I'm trying to watch the movie in my head and I'm trying to say, how do you tell this story? Um, because there are boring ways to tell this story um and there are exciting ways to tell this story and for me it's all about finding the entertaining exciting way to tell this story mm. how did you because no, this is just this is totally me just yeah. exploiting the fact that you're here the thing that i am really struggling with at the minute is how to balance this because obviously it's absolutely jammed full of like really complex stock market jargon right. and and different financial um instruments and and pieces of things that can go on and um then you know you've got to try and like get people to understand what reddit is as an idea and yeah. how it works before they can even understand how it can be influential in this yeah so, like how do you choose how deep to go in on on the really technical stuff yeah to to both give people an understanding of what's happening without boring them to death yeah well part of it that you have to remember is i'm a person who like it is really shallow i love saved by the bell i love marvel movies i love mm. the sort of easy stuff so i'm not approaching this the way say michael lewis would approach this or or um, walter isaacson i'm approaching it as someone who watches the kind of movies that, that are made from my books. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I kind of know, I have a sense of how deep into say short selling I wanna go. Short selling is can be very simple or it can be very complex. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, what's the simple way to, to, to do this? What is the simple way to understand Reddit or social, you know, or any social media or, or anything like that? Um, but there definitely were moments in the story where you sat back and you're like, there's so many levels to this. There's so much you could do here. I mean, there's, you know, everything from Occupy Wall Street in 2008, subprime war, you could go all the way back to there and you could talk about what is Reddit? Why, 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 you know, why are people gravitating to this and who are these people and this kind of thing? But for me, it's the characters that drive it. It's the drama that drives it. And that kind of makes you be very um, uh, choosy about how deep you wanna go into certain things. Like I really wanted to get into clearing, right? But clearing is the mm. most boring thing in the world. The idea is that when I buy a stock, right? Uh, it doesn't happen instantaneously, although it looks like it happens instantaneously. I buy a stock, the brokerage has to then find a, a sell for that stock through a market maker. There's something called T plus two clearing. It takes two days. 
A collateral has to be put up. There's a federal clearinghouse. It's horrible. I don't want to talk about this stuff. I don't want to read about this stuff. I don't want to see this in a movie. So how do I tell that? Because it's integral to the story. So I found what I think is an interesting way to tell it, which is that Robin Hood has this little outpost in Orlando, Florida, where they shove their clearing people, right? It's like right next to in the shadow of Mickey Mouse is the guys who sit there and do this wonky, horribly boring stuff. These are guys that (laughs) they sat down at a a cocktail party with you. You would just fall asleep while they were talking to you. But I think that's the funny thing. It's like, that's how you tell that is you're like, yeah, this is boring, right? Um, and, And so that's, I think you can get into very complicated things as long as you do it in a funny, um, interesting way, um, and you are in on the joke. Like, as the author, I'm not trying to say to my readers, this is clearing, understand it. I'm trying to say, clearing is incredibly boring. I hate it, you hate it, but it's integral to this story, so please try and understand it. Like, it's a different way of presenting it, and I think that that's, that's mm-hmm. my methodology, but, um, but I don't know, everyone's different in how they want to approach something like that. Speaking of clearing, um, one yeah, in the, the the sort of first chapter about Robin Hood, you kind of mentioned that they decided to take this on and were like, well, you know, we don't really get it, but you know, we'll just do it ourselves; it'll be fine. Right? Like, do you think? What do you think drove that decision? Right? Because that was a really interesting point to me. It was just, do you think it was like complacency, a little bit of arrogance, naivety? Oh, it's interesting. What made them the, just... the people I, you know. So I, I was very in with the people who, who built the clearing, who really know this business. Mm-hmm. And their belief was these were arrogant unicorns. These were guys who were the toast of Silicon Valley, sudden billionaires, essentially, <laughs> whose company is skyrocketing. And they think, we could just do this ourselves. What's the big deal? And there's a great scene where they're saying, you know, you need to understand, like, the 20s rules. And they're like, 2020 is so far away. Or 2030s rule. 2030s, no, 1930s. <laughs> Banking rules go back to the 1930s, not ahead to the 2030s. And these are not things that Silicon Valley unicorns like to think about. I mean, they want flying cars and and all of that kind of stuff. And so I do think arrogance may be too strong a word. I think it's naivety. It's the idea that we're, we're smart people. We're math, you know, guys, we've got engineers. We can do this. Why can't we do this? We build the computers, you know, we know more about computers than the people who made these rules. We should be able to do this. And the reality is they're running into this antiquated, you know, 1930s laws and 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 like clearing doesn't make a lot of sense. The fact it should be instantaneous. Um, there's no reason why it can't be instantaneous, and it and it probably will be. There's no reason why if I'm buying a stock, Robin has to put up another amount of money, not the money I gave them, but a different amount of mm-hmm. money as collateral to the money that I gave them. They have my money, <laughs> right? Why do they need so uh, people buy a million dollars worth of stock? They need a different million dollars against that million dollars. That doesn't make any sense, right? And so from their point of view, it is sort of an irrational thing. On that day when Rob, when GameStop was going crazy, they got a collateral call for $3.7 billion. They had to have $3.7 billion in cash sitting there as collateral to the trades that were being made through their app. Through their, through their app. That's ridiculous. From any point of view, it's ridiculous because the trades are coming through. The money is going into them. They have the money. Why do they need an extra 3.7 billion? And that's what led to them having to freeze the trading. Um, so you have to wonder, you know, it's not entirely their fault that they naively dove in and said, we can do this ourselves. Um, it's the system is so complex and antiquated that they ran into problems trying to do it themselves. I mean, I guess the more ridiculous part of that for me was the fact that they could negotiate how much it was. Right. That stuns me. It's not like it was done on a calculator. Right. They can just be like, well, we don't have that. So, um, yeah, what if we stop trading? How much is it then? They're like, oh, we'll take 2.2 million off the top. Yeah, you're right. The horse trading shouldn't exist. That, that makes, that shows you the system is screwed up. Um, there should be a, you know, it should be automated and it should have nothing to do with that. And they should, you know, what money is put in is what they have to put in. And, you know, it should be instant, honestly. Clearing should be instant because there's no actual problems anymore. Now we have the computer and technology to do it instantly. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, you're right. The horse trading does, doesn't does make a lot of sense. 
But anyway, um, I'm aware that you have another call to get onto. So uh, do you want to finish up by telling people uh, where they can find you and the book and everything? Right. Yeah, well, the Antisocial Network is what it's called, and it's available at fine bookstores everywhere. You can get it on Amazon. You can find me on Twitter mostly, I think. That's where I'm most active, I guess. Um, just Ben Mesrick there. Um, and the book should be everywhere, and hopefully people will be reading it all over the place. And uh, I look forward to pe- hearing what people say. Well, I can't wait to get my actual physical copy tomorrow once it's out in bookstores. Oh. So, uh, yeah, Ben, uh, I really want to thank you. This was uh, a lot of fun and a real pleasure to get to talk to you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Don't forget our sponsor, ExpressVPN, and my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, can both be found in the links in the description below. And also, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow. Until next time, thanks for listening. The animal dragged a child around its enclosure. The child had fallen into that enclosure. Officials are now defending their actions. ABC's Alex. A few things I am not. I'm not a cat. I am not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. There's no panic selling. These people, you know, they may have bought at $4, sat through $400, went back to 40, went to 350, back down to 110, and they have not sold. All they've done is bought more. And there's no answer for that. There's no, you know, it, it is like art of war mastery by a bunch of idiots who should know better. And they're just, they're just like, I'm not fucking leaving. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace has never been seen before. Uh, the short 70, 60, 80% of a company, let alone 140%, I think a lot of people universally believe something is wrong there. They're powerful. They want to stock hire. It's child's play. Why ever sell into the maw of Wall Street, you know, Reddit bets? Why? 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 But everyone's wrong. It's like the big short again. Or more like the big short squeeze this time, right? So here we got the fox guarding the hen house. And one of the hens is complaining. The fox is out to kill us. And the farmer says, I'm sorry, the fox is in charge of the hen house. Whenever there is not billions, but like trillions of dollars involved in something, it I, I argue that nothing is off the table. The way they have absolutely cheated, stolen, robbed everyday people so all our hedge fund billionaire friends can get out and not get killed is one of the most remarkable, illegal, shocking robberies in the history in plain sight. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance, insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months. And and not just Citadel, but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. You've got maybe 10 million people doing this who now own, you know, probably more than 100 million shares and eventually, you know, they might own everything.